0: The Quarantine Conversation podcast series aims to show what it's like to be an earth, ocean, or atmospheric scientist. There's a lot of diversity under that umbrella, and not all of our scientists wear lab coats. Today, we're celebrating Honeybee Day and the groundbreaking honey study produ- conducted by UBC's very own Pacific Center for Isotopic and Geochemical Research. Our interviewee today uh, is Kate Smith, an environmental chemist. Now, Kate, in this series, we aim to show uh, people at various stages in their scientific studies. So, would you consider yourself to be a student, a teacher, a hobbyist, or a researcher, or, or anything else?
1: I am a student. I work with Dr. Dominique Weiss um, at the PCIGR facility, and uh, that's part of our very own UBC Department of Earth Ocean Atmospheric Sciences.
0: Wonderful. And uh, what stage are you at in your studies? Are you doing your undergrad, your master's, your PhD?
1: I am currently working on my PhD.
0: Oh, wow. Congratulations. Thanks. Now, um, environmental chemistry, uh, that's not something we hear about uh, when we're growing up. Um, What is an environmental chemist?
1: Well, it's as simple as it sounds. It's uh, an environmental chemist studies the chemistry of the environment. And I'm interested in metals in the environment. And so I like exploring the biogeochemical cycling of various metals within the environment with questions like where do they come from, how are they transported, and where do they end up. So I'm particularly interested in the effects that built environments or engineered environments have on the natural world. So the classic example of an engineered environment is a neighborhood or a city. Um but other examples include things like a golf course or uh, a mine or a quarry or even agricultural operations those are all built environments. Um they're all engineered, they're all human made. So um all of those features have some effect on the chemistry of the surrounding environment.
0: Oh, really interesting. Now, we've all got favorites. Do you have a favorite metal to study? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, yeah, I actually do. I I am really interested in vanadium uh, just because it exists in so many different oxidation states in a single given environment. Um, but right now I'm working on lead, which I also find very interesting um, for geochemical reasons as well as public health reasons.
0: Excellent. <laughs> We've got some beautiful vanadium crystals in the museum. Um, It can be stunning.
1: (laughs) I'll have to check those out after uh, our quarantine is over.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, How did you end up getting into this field?
1: Well, I studied chemistry in university and uh, the environmental questions, especially issues that overlap with public health and toxicology. Those were my favorite issues to think about. So uh, after that, I worked for a number of years as an analytical chemist for government labs in the United States, uh, working on issues like, um, how did these cows get pesticide poisoning? Uh, Is it in the milk? Are people at risk? Um, How did that calf get lead poisoning? Um, And then we would use geochemical tools like isotopes to investigate bigger questions like uh, tracing cadmium and linking it with breast cancer in humans. So uh, questions like, um, is the source of the cadmium dietary or is it from smoking? Because there's a lot of cadmium in tobacco, for example. Uh,
0: Now, sorry, what's an isotope?
1: So an isotope is you could think of it very simply like um, different flavors of the same metal. Oh. So uh, let's, let's talk about lead. There are four different types of lead, four different flavors, if you will. And anything on earth that has lead in it is going to be made up of some combination of those different flavors of lead. And uh we use that we, we can measure the amounts of these different types of lead in any substance and that is a bit of a signature um it's it's characteristic and sometimes it's unique and that helps us identify where the lead may be coming from and and we we use this idea with other metals like cadmium or zinc or copper or tin isotopes in the environment
0: Never heard uh, isotopes be explained so deliciously. Now I want to go to lead.
1: (laughs) Now I'm I'm craving ice cream or something. (laughs) Ditto.
0: (laughs) Uh, Speaking of uh, yummy science, uh, you were involved in a pretty interesting study recently. Um, Would you care to explain your honey study?
1: Sure. Well, right now I I am working on using honeybees and their honey to help us map Metal distributions in Metro Vancouver and within other cities, uh, we're focusing a lot of effort on lead, as I mentioned before, which is is neurotoxic um, and it's still pervasive everywhere, uh, but especially in in any city or industrial environment uh, so the idea is that the honeybees they fly through the air, they drink water, they land on soil and surfaces while they're foraging for their nectar and pollen, but they're also passively collecting particulate matter and dust. And uh, as a result, the the honey they produce provides us with a chemical snapshot of each hive's immediate surroundings. And we call this biomonitoring, where we rely on a living thing, in this case honeybees, to provide us with information about the environment that they live in.
0: So um, does that mean that this honey is unsafe or...
1: No, that's a very good point. Thank you for bringing that up. Uh the levels that we're talking about, the the uh total amounts of lead and and other metals in the honey are very very low. Uh they're well below the regulation limit for um for Canada and and the CDC in the US, um or excuse me, the FDA in the US, and uh you, we calculated uh, you would have to eat over half a kilogram in one day for several days to have any adverse effect from eating Vancouver honey. So uh, there's no way you could humanly eat enough to get any any lead poisoning or anything like that.
0: Well, oh, that's good to know. I, I'm always a big fan yeah. of local honey.
1: Oh yeah, definitely.
0: <laughs> um, how far do these honeybees travel in, in a day?
1: So in a city like Vancouver, where there's there's a really uh, a typically longer bloom season, so it's kind of a long, mild year. the the honey production season is is several months long, and it's a very green city. We get a lot of rain, so there's good bloom diversity. So the bees, especially the urban bees, they don't have to forage very far. It's just a couple of kilometers away from their hive. Excellent.
0: Um, now I'm curious, how do you actually like physically do a study like this? Uh, do you actually go out to the hives or do people bring their honey to you?
1: It's uh, it's a combination, actually. In most of 2018 and 2019, I spent in the field in Metro Vancouver. So within the city and in the surrounding regions. Um, and I, I repeatedly visited a, se- a series of about 40 to 45 hives. And, uh, I, it's a good thing. I'm not allergic to bee stings because I initially had started, um, recording. I had a spreadsheet at the beginning of this study recording every bee sting I got. Um, but I I very quickly lost count. It was like over 15 bee stings before I decided to give up. But, um, so that was a bit of a surprise, (laughs) but, other than that, I think uh, the one of the positive aspects about this type of fieldwork is the fact that you can't do this sort of work without involving the community. So a lot of these hives exist in people's backyards or on the rooftop of an apartment building downtown or on a business downtown. And so it gave me an opportunity to interact with the general community. And people are really interested in what you're working on. They want to talk about it. They're excited that their honey or their bees are part of some cool study. And it really made me happy to see how excited the community was to be involved. And so after the first couple of studies came out and were published, people caught wind of this. And they started sending us honey from everywhere. I mean, now we have honey from almost every continent, Uh which is really cool. And um, actually, a study just came out today, a suite of honey samples collected in Paris, immediately following the fire at Notre Dame Cathedral, which you may have seen in the news released a lot of lead into the environment. Um, So it's because of that initial study that word got out and it put us in collaboration with urban beekeepers in Paris. And right now we're working on, we're working with beekeepers, um, actually a high school student in New York City who works with beekeepers there. And we're working with people in Kauai, and it's its really grown into something big.
0: <laughs> oh wow, you really seem to have tapped into something. Hmm. <laughs> uh- I've never even thought about an urban beekeeping community here in Vancouver. How big would you say that community is?
1: So I was shocked at how many people keep bees. And I was talking to the uh, BC has a provincial apiarist who uh, he he does a lot of educational outreach. You can take uh, urban beekeeping courses. Um, He makes sure that people know what they're doing and uh, make sure people keep bees in a safe way. Uh, He estimates that there are over 17,000 registered hives in all of the metro Vancouver region. So it's a fair number of hives out there.
0: Wow, I never would have thought, but I'm I'm really (laughs) glad that we do have that many bees. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Do you get up, are you still going out into the field even with COVID going on?
1: No, uh, the field work is, is pretty much on hold except for a few members of our community who are beekeepers and they are collecting some samples for us. The interesting question for this summer is as you know the infrastructure sort of stopped during COVID and so uh, we thought it would be a good idea to keep collecting some honey just to see if there's some difference in maybe the chemistry with you know all most of the flights being canceled. The trains aren't running as much. There's less freight. There's less shipping. All of these all of these factors add up to sort of the chemistry of a city, which is reflected in the honey. So, um, but I I'm very um, I'm very lucky. I've collected enough data to work and finish my projects, and I'm able to help with some online teaching throughout 2020. Um, and I, I'm from the United States. So I'm just very, very thankful that I'm here in Canada. I have health care and I have a job to do. So I, I think about that every day and I'm, I'm very thankful for that.
0: <laughs> well, we're certainly glad to, to have you. Um, it seems like you're, you're contributing quite a bit. <laughs> um, I'm curious, uh, have you started analyzing any of this honey? Have you noticed any um, decrease in the pollutants
1: no, we haven't analyzed the the COVID honey yet. I think that'll be probably um, in the next phase of UBC's reopening. Yep.
0: Excellent. Oh, I also have to ask, uh, do you have a favorite type of honey? <laughs> Any recommendations? A
1: favorite type of honey? No, I actually, uh, this is really sad, but I've sort of lost my appetite for honey. Uh, I'm sure it'll come back after the project is over. Uh, the only reason I don't Crave it anymore is just because I see it all the time. <laughs> but Vancouver honey is delicious, and if you like honey, you should you should go out and support your local beekeepers. Um, I think some of my favorite honey uh, before I got tired of of honey in general was from Hives for Humanity. They're a local um, nonprofit organization who. They work on the downtown east side, and they manage um, a couple hundred hives throughout Metro Vancouver, and their honey is phenomenal.
0: Wonderful. I'll I'll have to check them out. (laughs)
1: Um,
0: Now, one thing I often hear about people, uh, scientists who are doing all this research, is that um, they're they're often spending a lot of time in the field. Um, A lot of crazy things happen in the field. Um, You mentioned you're getting stung by bees constantly, which is something that you don't often expect for a... um, (laughs) environmental scientist.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say constantly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was a surprise. <laughs> Do
0: you have any other field stories or?
1: Um, I think there... aside, aside from that, the the community involvement was was really fun. So I would often I also did in in conjunction with the honey sampling some some topsoil and air air quality monitoring. And, um, so I would go, it would be like six or six thirty in the morning. I would stop by the Fairmont waterfront hotel right downtown next to the port of Vancouver. Um, and I would meet the maintenance engineers. They would just be getting off their third shift. I would just be getting ready for the day, but we would meet, they would take me up to the rooftop and we would set up air sampling equipment. Oh. Um, and so I worked with them. I got to work with, um, Municipal workers that work for uh, Metro Vancouver um, at their air sampling stations. They let us set up some equipment and So working with them and the general community people who let me sample their topsoil in their yards or um, Sample their beehives of course has been a pleasure. That's I think the highlight of the field work for sure Oh,
0: Interesting Again, that's not something you often expect for um, a scientist in the Department of Earth, Ocean, Atmospheric Sciences. Uh, no, not really. Climbing to the roof of luxury hotels to test yep. the air. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, I mean, the, the whole reason is this is the new environment, right? Cities are the new normal. So we have to think of, you know, if we're going to start sampling chemistry the environment, we have to include cities.
0: Absolutely. Um, and, I mean, it's where most of us live now. Exactly. Um, okay, so it, it seems pretty obvious how your research is um, important in a real world sense, but um, do you want to, uh, to elaborate or, or are there any um, ways in which it's important which aren't so, so evident?
1: Uh, so I, I think I'll start with the more evident connection is that, well, first of all, there's no perfect biomonitoring proxy for the environment Uh, but but honeybees do a pretty good job and what's cool about it is that the hive sampling is relatively inexpensive and it's quite simple so um that's in comparison to other types of environmental testing like uh continuous soil and air monitoring um so honeybees and hive infrastructure they already exist in most places that humans live already so um so this method is theoretically applicable anywhere that hives exist. So that makes it possible for other cities around the world to potentially apply this method. Um, I think the, the less direct takeaway message is just for environmental chemistry in general. It, it was sort of a, a realization that I made very early in my career when I was still at university is that it's rather heartbreaking, but it's really important for people to understand is that chemistry improves the lives of a lot of people, but when used incorrectly, it comes at the cost of the health of other people. So um, I think living in a safe and healthy environment is a human right, but that means that we need to include and improve quality of life for everyone. So the role of an environmental chemist includes better and more effective science education and outreach and that means outreach and collaboration with people of all ages um, and with city planners public health officials and policymakers and of course the most effective way to go about this would be better representation for everyone right for for women and other minority groups in, within these fields in all those fields that I mentioned so I think I think that's going to be key for improving quality of life um, environmental quality in Cities everywhere around the world, and some some regions have a lot further to go than others. Um, but maybe by the time I retire someday, I hope I hope to witness some serious change for good.
0: Absolutely. Well, I, it sounds like you're contributing to that uh, much more positive future. Um,
1: <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: I, I think this study has been phenomenal.
1: <laughs> um, Thank you. It's been fun.
0: Now you mentioned some of the aspects of the, the job, which I assume you don't like, like getting stung. Um, <laughs> do you have a favorite part of the job?
1: I think, well, I I really like analytical chemistry and we have the the PCIGR facility here is, is fantastic. The collection of instrumentation is, and personnel is just um, world-class. So that's, I think, what initially drew my interest in the subject or the study, but what I think stole my heart was learning all about beekeeping, um, especially the nuances of urban beekeeping. I had no idea how, uh, how complex, how involved it was, and it's been, um, well, it's not only applicable and relevant to the study, but it's, it's really fun.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Have you done any beekeeping before this? Or?
1: No, no, never. I had never done any beekeeping. <laughs>
0: You know, I've never actually met a beekeeper, so this is, um, new for me as well.
1: <laughs> well, uh, I, I, I still don't consider myself a beekeeper. I'm, I'm still on the learning curve there.
0: Would you ever go into beekeeping as a hobby?
1: As a hobby, I think, maybe, <laughs> maybe someday.
0: <laughs> uh, maybe, right? Maybe. <laughs> now, of course, um, all of our lives have been turned upside down these last few months uh, with the COVID outbreak. Um, has that impacted your work? You said you you were able to stockpile a lot of data, um, mm-hmm. but were you affected
1: any other way? Uh, aside, well, I, I'm very worried for for family in in other parts of the world. Canada, I think, is handling this very very well, um, as well as can be expected. So um, I'm thankful to be here and thankful that I have work to do, which I think being busy and and keeping busy is is really important these days, especially for me. I know everyone's coping differently, but um, having some cool chemistry to focus on has really been helpful.
0: And I hope you take comfort in the fact that, I mean, we all appreciate the work that you're doing Um, and it, it does sound really, really interesting. Thank you. Um,
1: Kate, those are all my questions
0: for today. Was there anything you wanted to say before I let you go?
1: No, but thank you, thank you for having me. This has been a pleasure.
0: Oh, absolutely. And thank you for participating.